0: later on tonight. So at the time of recording, it is about 12 o'clock on Tuesday. I did say that I was going to be bringing a 2021 World Series preview. So there's just a few things I really want to look into here and discuss, Uh, you know, just a couple, maybe some bold predictions. I don't even know if they'll be bold, you know, just things to look out for, because this is one of the more intriguing and unlikely World Series matchups that we've seen in some time. I mean, you know the Astros are always going to be a good team, especially with the core of players that they have. But then you look at the Braves, who basically struggled all year and made a ton, had to make a ton of adjustments at the trade deadline, and then it basically turned out that all of those moves, especially the one for Eddie Rosario, really worked out in their favor. I mean, Eddie Rosario has a great story this season. Uh, he was cut by the Twins before the season started, picked up by the Cleveland Indians. And then just traded basically to get rid of some salary for, I think he was traded. I could be wrong. I think he was traded for Pablo Sandoval. And, you know, he's took he took off. He, had, he tied the most hits in MLB history for an NLCS. He came up with clutch hit after clutch hit. And, you know, you think about past NLCS MVPs and past World Series MVPs. More often than not, it's guys that aren't really the superstars. I mean, yeah, of course you'll have you know, a, a superstar win the MVP every once in a while. But more often than not, it's that guy that just comes up big in the clutch situation, you know, that that just gets hot during the playoffs. And that's exactly what Eddie Rosario has done. He's been a revelation mm-hmm. in the postseason for the Braves. And it's been great to see. I love stories like Eddie Rosario. I, I love seeing guys who were basically castaways and cast off by their former team come back and and use it kind of as a, you know, cannon fodder almost and, and really just propel themselves into a different stratosphere. So hats off to Eddie Rosario for that. Uh, there are things to look out for. I guess really the only bold prediction I would have because this is such a weird, like no one prepared for this World Series matchup. So it is a little weird. Um, so I guess my only bold prediction would be that there's definitely going to be one or two chaotic games because that's just the way that's not even really a bold prediction has nothing to do with either team. It's just the way that the world series has been played out the last five or six years. So if you go back to 2016, I mean, every single thing in the 2016, you know, so go to game seven in 2016, that whole entire game was absolute chaos. Then you go to the 2017 World Series in Game 5. The Astros beat the Dodgers in a 13-12 game in 10 innings. That's insane. The 2018 World Series, nothing really crazy happened, but you did have an 18-inning game, which is easily the longest in postseason and World Series history. Then you look at 2019 the World Series Game 7, Howie Kendrick, you know, go-ahead home run. I think it was either the 7th or 8th inning and propelled the Nationals to an unlikely World Series win. And then 2020, you have World Series Game 4 with the Brett Phillips game. Actually, the anniversary of that just passed, I think yesterday or two days ago. And um, a real quick side note, I I saw that I, I really like the fact that MLB is putting in an effort to... I mean, it's still obviously not enough. Like They need to be They need to put forth more effort into trying to get younger and trying to get the youth of America back into baseball, but they are trying by having, I think Brett Phillips is going to be live on the MLB Instagram in game two and game three, interviewing all our favorite players. That's what MLB is, is, you know, advertising it as. He's going to be interviewing our favorite players, but really I don't have a burning desire to see an interview with any of those players except for Freddie Freeman, but that's cool. Like I, I like that they're using someone that's a very likable character like Brett Phillips, you know, unlikely world series hero last year. The guy is just a, an absolute meme. You know, he comes into pitch. He just loves life. He loves, you know, cause I feel like more baseball players should be more like Brett Phillips. I, I always said this and not to get too far off topic before I really get into this, but I always said that if I was an MLB baseball player, I would try and be like the most lighthearted, funny guy on the baseball field. Obviously you have to focus when it comes down to it. I get it. But like, you know, for me, I guess maybe just cause I'm a people person, it would be tough for me to like ignore like fans, like calling out for my name. And, and like, I would always love to have a catch with the fans, maybe in between innings. Like, like I, I think we need more fan player interaction and we need more, likable guys because it's so upsetting that you have guys like you know you look at the faces of MLB right now I guess you could say the three faces of MLB or four or five let's go with five let's just say five you know we'll go with Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, Fernando Tatis, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Juan Soto let's let's go with those five even though there probably are more there's probably a guy I missed you know don't don't shoot me I'm just going off the top of my head, really the only guy that I, that I see that interacts with fans and that, and you know, I uh, I guess you could say Fernando Tatis does as well, but I mean, Juan Soto, I mean, I have a whole new respect for Juan Soto. I always liked him. I always thought that he was a tremendous baseball player, obviously, but uh, he really showed a lot of his personality when he went to the Dodgers wildcard game and supported Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Like that was just really cool. Seeing, you know, a former teammate still care about his teammates so much that he traveled across the country to go see them play and then was incredibly hyped when they won. I love seeing things like that. And and that was really cool to see it showcase some of Juan Soto's personality. But I think the MLB really needs to drive forth and, and have these players, you know, show a little bit more of their personality. Like, it's a shame that Mike Trout's been the face of baseball for the last, like, what, eight years. And he doesn't, I'm not going to say that he doesn't have a personality, but he really doesn't like, he's very quiet. He keeps to himself. And I've said this in previous episodes, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Like if that's who he is, that's who he is. But you know, they don't even really try to market him. It's just like, Oh, Mike Trout's one of the best baseball players that's ever lived. So let's just keep that narrative. And they don't really do any deep dives. They don't, you know, they don't interview him. Like, I, I feel like there's way more that could be done from a, from a PR standpoint on baseball. Maybe they're starting to get the hint I see that they are, they, you know, they're trying to keep with the trends on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. So, you know, hats off to them doing a great job lately. Uh, I've, I've definitely been noticing that, but getting back to my, my point was that's a really cool thing for them to be doing. Like I said, Britt Phillips is a great character and we need more guys like that in baseball, but getting to really things to look out for. So one thing that you have to look out for in this World Series, in my opinion, is how well the Astros are going to hit Braves pitching, because Braves pitching has pretty much held held up this this postseason so far, except for that what was it game what game four or game five against the Dodgers where they gave up like nine runs. <clears throat> Excuse me the the Braves pitching has held up, but the Houston Astros had the most potent offense the second most potent offense in the AL in 2021 and had the most potent offense in the playoffs by a wide margin. So you look at, there's an interesting stat that I saw in CBS posted. If you look at lift angle, which is basically the average launch angle against like a pitcher. So if you look at the guy who had the lowest, in baseball, it was for Amber Valdez who pitches on Houston. He had a average launch angle of negative five and a half degrees, which is actually crazy. I don't even know how that, how that works. I, I understand that he, he is a ground ball pitcher. So he just, I guess they just beat the ball straight into the ground. But if you look at the Houston Astros, they're not built around the home run, but they do hit a ton of home runs. Like you look at, you know, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, guys like that, or just, just hit a ton of nukes. And it's interesting to see because out of 129 qualified pitchers, Charlie Morton ranks 18th in launch angle, Max Fried is 10th in launch angle, and Ian Anderson, who is a sinker ball pitcher, ranks 8th in baseball. So it's going to be interesting to see how the the Houston Astros have one of the most diverse offenses in baseball. They could kill you with small ball. They could single you to death. They could, you know, hit bombs. They could hit the ball into the gap and move the runners Like they're, they're very versatile when it comes to, you know, offensive, like they're not, uh, I I don't want to kill the Yankees, but you see how the Yankees, like if they're not hitting home runs, they're not scoring runs. The Houston Astros, they could go three games without hitting a home run and still probably win two of those three games or even all three of them, just because they have hitters that could do different things than just hit home runs. So it'll be interesting to see how they get around because Charlie Morton throws a sinker cutter, um, sinker cutter splitter. Then you got Max Freed, who I believe throws a sinker changeup, And then Ian Anderson, who throws a sink, who is predominantly a sinker ball pitcher. So right then and there, you're going to try and keep the ball low in the zone and, you know, try and keep the ball out of the air, especially in Minute Maid Park where the ball just, you know, with the, the humidity and the ball just absolutely flies out of that ballpark. So, you know, really try and keep the ball on the ground would be the ideal situation for the Atlanta Braves to kind of hold that potent offense. And then just kind of, you know, like for the Astros, you just kind of have to adapt and you have to try and hit a different way. Don't try, you know, uppercut the ball out of the ballpark, maybe more of a level swing, beat the ball into the ground, try and find the hole. Uh, another thing to look out for, in my opinion, is the Astros pitching. So we'll switch from the Braves pitching where they do have enough pitching and, and the the Braves bullpen, was a serious question mark going into the season. Even all the way up to the trade deadline was a serious problem for the team. The team was scoring plenty of runs. They have the first time since, I don't remember what year it was, that a team has three 100 RBI guys on the same team. So Adam Duvall, Ozzy Albies, and um, Austin Riley all had more than 100 RBI. So they were definitely scoring enough runs. It was just their, their bullpen, the back end of the bullpen was not holding up. And now we transition over to the Astros, who, you know, obviously Justin Verlander has been out this entire year with Tommy John surgery. Zach Greinke's not stretched out enough. Like, you know, he hasn't really looked that great, not only in the postseason, but in this the season in general, he hasn't really looked that great. And then you have Lance McCullers, who's out for the rest of the playoffs with an injury. And they've really, it's funny because the the saving graces of this team, or at least this This pitching rotation so far, this playoffs, has been rookie Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, who was actually pretty good last postseason as well, um, Framber Valdez, and Jake Odorizzi, who signed a free agent contract this past offseason with them. So, you know, you you look past their number one starters, and you have a bunch of of back-of-the-rotation long relievers who have been carrying the workload. And then you look at, you know, their, their bullpen is pretty good. Then you have, they made a couple really good acquisitions at the trade deadline. They got Kendall Graveman from Seattle, which is still a trade to this day that I don't understand why you would trade your best reliever to a division rival while you're in a playoff race for a backup third baseman was beyond me. Anyway, and then they got Yimmy Garcia from the Miami Marlins who has, has been Good this postseason as well. Then you got Josh James, you know the regular guys on on Houston who have picked up the slack. But it'll be interesting to see how they approach starting the games, how long the leash is for a lot of these guys because you know there's a thing with Max Freed, a thing with Charlie Morton is when those guys are on, they're on. So you know, especially Charlie Morton, if he's got that big knuckle curve working and that splitter and that upper nineties fastball up in the zone, it's going to be he's one of the toughest pitchers to face in the MLB. So It'll be interesting to see what kind of leash the starting pitchers have for the Houston Astros, and you know what like who's gonna be long relief essentially what kind of rotation are they gonna go with three man four man uh i'm I'm definitely looking at that as one of my one of my big things to watch out for and then the third thing I'm really looking out for is the play of Carlos Correa on the Astros and the play of Freddie Freeman on the Braves because you know um. Both guys are unrestricted free agents. Both guys are due for humongous contract extensions, um, well, contracts in general, not even extensions if they decide to re-sign with their respected teams. But, you know, Carlos Correa once again. I mean, I had this discussion with my friend Mike Ortiz not too long ago on Twitter, saying that I said I said that whatever Carlos Correa gets is purely based off of his playoff experience and his playoff play. Because if you look at his, his regular season numbers are good, but they're not like anything that is absolutely insane. Like you look at the other free agent shortstops this year, you look at Javi Baez, you look at uh, Trevor Story, look at Corey Seager, what those guys have done in the regular season probably is way better than Carlos Correa, but just the guy comes alive in, in September and October, he plays his best ball at the most important times. And that is. He's got that certain clutch factor. I hate to say it because you know I'm not really the biggest fan of Carlos Correa, but you got to respect what the guy does on the baseball field, especially in the clutch moments. So, you know, I'll be I'm interested to see what kind of performance Carlos Correa puts in, even in a losing effort. You know, if he does all that he possibly can to, you know, win the World Series or help win the World Series for the Astros. Same thing with Freddie Freeman. I'm thinking that even if the Braves lose the World Series, Freddie Freeman's not going anywhere. I feel like he's a lifelong Brave. You know, his his family is there. He, he is an easy fan favorite, um, not only in Atlanta, but in the MLB in general. Everyone loves Freddie Freeman. He's a fantastic ambassador for the game. He's a fantastic personality. His son has a big following in the MLB community as well. Um, so I'm interested to see if either of these guys depart, if they could help bring a parting gift to their respected cities and respected teams. So like, you know, if Carlos Correa wins the world series again with the Houston Astros, does he leave on that high note? Same thing with Freddie Freeman. If, if his character arc with the Atlanta Braves ends with him bringing them a world series, you know, then he'll be, he'll go down as one of the all time legends of the Atlanta Braves. And that's a storied list. Let me tell you, but that's interesting to see as well. That's really more of like a, it's not really a thing to look out for. It's, it's kind of kind of like a like a dream, not a dream scenario, but a fantasy scenario, I would say. And uh, I think one of the other points I want to talk about is which seasoned manager will prevail. But I mean, if you want to talk about experience, you'll be hard pressed to find a manager that has more experience, not only in baseball in general, but in the playoffs than Dusty Baker uh Dusty Baker became I think the 6th or 7th manager of all time to win the pennant in both NL and the AL so that's a that's an incredible accomplishment for Dusty Baker and it hasn't been easy for him either he took over this team basically not knowing what his future was it was more like a Ron Reneky situation last year with the Boston Red Sox where it was kind of like look Dusty like you know we just want you to kind of hold down the fort for this year while all the craziness you know, dies down and then, and then we'll assess what you've done after the season, but probably the Astros leaning more towards not bringing him back just because of his age and his style. You know, now you see teams transitioning towards younger, more pliable coaches, you know uh more analytical driven coaches and and they're kind of like puppets. they don't really have to think for themselves because the 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 white binder that the bench coach holds holds all the answers to what you're thinking you know there's no there's no bouncing ideas off of your bench coach off your hitting coach, you know you know your your base coaches anymore. It's all well, if I need to find an answer, I'm going to look at the book, and I dislike that so much about baseball. I understand that analytics probably give you, or, or probably better than human judgment, that they will give you the better opportunity to win. I'm, I I understand that completely. Uh, I'm just not really for it. Like I've, I've said before, I'm really an old head when it comes to baseball. I like the thinking man's aspect of baseball. But anyway, Dusty Baker, you know, managed well enough last year. Not a lot of people expected the Astros to do as well because of, oh, you know, now they're not going to be able to cheat. So you know, now they're not going to be good. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Look at the guys that they have on that team. There's obvious talent there. And yeah, you know what? Like if they had an advantage because of, you know, technology, you know, whatever, you still have to be able to hit the ball. You still have to be able to identify pitches. You know you know what I mean? Like it, there's much more that goes into it than, than just that. And everyone was saying, oh, well, they're not going to know what's coming this year. So they're not going to hit as well. And then obviously everyone hit basically exactly the same. And they made it almost to the World Series last year. And they're in the World Series this year. So you know what? Dusty Baker has done more than an admirable job. He's done a tremendous job with the Astros. And then you look at Brian Snicker as well, who was a... Um, what was it? An interim coach in 2016. After uh, I'm drawing a blank on who was the coach of Atlanta before Snicker, but anyway, he did enough. Usually, when someone comes in to coach the rest of the season, 95% of the time they are not going to get the job after. But you know what? Snicker did a good enough job to he won enough games to convince the Atlanta Braves front office that yes, I am the man for the job, and he's rewarded them. Four and a half years later, with a with an unlikely World Series appearance. So you know, I I'm going to say I I don't really want to rephrase the point to look out for, but what old school thinking manager is going to make one or two moves that really decide who's going to win the World Series? Because Snicker as well is one of those old school type thinkers, and then of course Dusty Baker is an old school thinker. He's been in the game for like fifty thousand years, so. Obviously, he's going to have an old school approach, but I think it'll be interesting to see what manager pulls the trigger at the right time and the right way. So that's one thing to look out for. And then really my last thing to look out for is, interestingly enough, the projections favor the Atlanta Braves over the Houston Astros, and I think that's interesting Uh If you go back to the last time these teams met, it was actually way back in 2017, and it was a four-game set between the two, and the Astros dominated the Braves. They won by a margin of 38-13, to putting up more than six runs per game. Uh, But also, you look at that lineup back then. The Braves lineup had Brandon Phillips in it. Uh, a washed-up Matt Kemp, Matt Adams, and then Jaime Garcia was one of the pitchers who pitched in that game. And fun fact, enough about Jaime Garcia, I think this was the season 2017. I think this was the season that I was I, I went to L.A. Yeah, in 2017, and I did go to a Dodger game. And um, it was great, by the way, because the, the Atlanta Braves absolutely torched the Dodgers that game. I think the final score was like 12-0. And it was 10-0 by like the fifth inning. It was tremendous. The Chavez you know, Ravine was half empty by like the sixth inning. It was great. Loved it. And also, interestingly enough, I was at the game where Jaime Garcia actually hit a grand slam. So that's pretty funny. You know, how often do you see a pitcher hit a grand slam? So um, that was amazing to see. It's just a, That was just a quick side note. But So what the projections are telling me is that the Braves match up 1,000% better than the last time these two teams have met. But also I have a stat here. Let me see if I could, I could find it. Um, I can't seem to find it. It was the last few times that these teams have met. Uh, I think it was in the post season as well. Now I can't find it, but that's unfortunate. I thought I had it right here, ready to go. Let me just check one more time. Maybe I missed it um, yes, here it is right here. Wow. It was right in front of my face the whole time. So the last five times these teams have met in the postseason, obviously the only way that they can meet in the postseason now is in the world series because the Astros moved over to the AL, but in 1997, the Braves swept the Astros in the NLDS three games to nothing in the 1999 NLDS, the Braves beat the Astros three to one. The 2001 NLDS, the Braves swept again the Astros three games to nothing. They've all met in the NLDS, by the way. And then in 2004, the Astros won the NLDS three games to two in five games. And then in 2005, when the Astros made it to the World Series, they beat the Braves three games to one in the NLDS. So kind of sort of even, sort of, kind of, if you look at the record's You know, the the Braves won the first nine of the first 10 matchups in the postseason. And then the Astros won six of the next nine in the postseason. So it's interesting to see. Also, the last time they met in the postseason was 16 years ago. So (laughs) I could confidently say that no one on either team is still playing. But I think it's just an interesting history. But I I thought the, the projections having the Braves like slightly having the advantage over the Astros was interesting. These teams surprisingly match up well. Don't let the records fool you. Uh, Both teams were pretty similar when it comes to average runs per game, Uh, runs scored, home runs, ERA, wins. Well, not wins that way. I mean wins like pitching wise. But, you know, the Astros are... A well-oiled machine. They know they they know what it takes to win the World Series. And then you have the Atlanta Braves, who are the hottest team in baseball. And more often than not, in any sport, the team that has the hot hand in the playoffs more, most likely rides that to a championship. I mean, look, two years ago, the, the Nationals were in the wild card game, and they were the hottest team in baseball, and they made it all the way to the World Series and won in seven games against these same Astros. So. Crazier things have happened. I think it's going to be a barn burner of a series. Not a lot of people are hyped up for it, but I think these two potent offenses colliding in two hitter friendly ballparks like Truist Park and Minute Maid Park is going to be something to see definitely. And I think whatever team hold whatever pitching staff holds the opposing offense to less runs or less home runs rather will come out on top. That's a very obvious statement. But if you do want my actual prediction, Uh, I do think just because they are hot and their bullpen is playing unbelievable right now. uh, I do think that the Braves are going to eke it out. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be either six or seven games. I don't think it's going to be a sweep or it's going to be thoroughly dominant to the point where we'll get four or five games. I think it's going to be pretty back and forth the entire series. And I think the Braves do, do win it at the end of the day. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, next time you hear about this will be after the World Series is over. So hopefully my tips to look out for and my prediction holds true. But thank you so much for listening to this shorter uh, episode. I mean, there wasn't really too much to go into depth that hasn't been discussed already before this point. But if you are watching this, the World Series, enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the rest of the World Series. Uh, I am Peter Andrusani. Thank you so much for listening to my World Series preview for 2021, and you will hear from me again later on this week when I have my Week Eight NFL pick'em. So enjoy the World Series, enjoy your day, and I'll hear, I'll see you next time. Thank you.